Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. Hey, we're back at church. Let's give yourself a round of applause. Yes. Thank you, team. Thank you, band. One more time, let's thank our praise team for being here today. The band did a great job. Today, we're studying from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter number seven, a sermon entitled Prison of Doubt. That's what we're going to be talking about. This is the second sermon, a three-week sermon series entitled Demo Day, the gracious destruction of your perfectly organized world. And in Luke chapter seven, I told you last week, we've met four different individuals who are going through incredible crisis. This crisis just hit them out of the blue. And today we hit uh, just one other individual. In our second sermon, this person is John the Baptist. And he's struggling with an existential crisis, the question of who he is and who is God and does he believe and what does he need to do next and did he make the right decision? All of these questions are flooding through his mind and we're going to talk about how that can affect each and every one of us today. Are you, um, are you glad to be in church if you are? Say amen. amen. Are you hot yet? Is, is it getting hot out there when you came in? Was it, was it warm? Not yet. It's not yet. It will be though, right? It'll be 90 something degrees today, 94. And then tomorrow, 99. And then July, 177. (laughs) Is there anyone here, this is like your first summer in Vegas. You moved here. Welcome. We're glad you came from California. Welcome. (laughs) We We all came from California. It's fine. Um, how, many, you, how many of you, like, this is your first summer in Las Vegas? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, there's a few of you. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, you're going to have a great time. I like the heat. How many of you enjoy when the heat starts coming? How many of you enjoy that? How many of you don't? Like, it's like, I like it. I'm ready already for October. When will October be? Okay, some of you. I don't mind when the heat starts coming. And the heat starts coming in everybody's life differently, doesn't it? I don't just mean the heat out there. I'm talking about when the pressure of life starts turning up the heat, when you start feeling like there's an oven around you, one thing after another. Have you ever experienced this kind of thing? Uh, like a, a specific week where everything begins to go bad. Just in the last month, I got to tell you so many things. Just little things, not big things, the little things, right? Like I'm sitting outside and, and my, my wife has a little birdhouse hanging from this, th- this pagoda and this birdhouse inside does not have birds um, because, I don't know, we live in Las Vegas. Instead, inside, I noticed hornets coming out of and I thought, well, that's not, this is, that's not a very nice thing. You know what I mean? Like hornets coming out. And then I find out that um, my son's car, on the way back from college, he hit a raccoon. He murdered. He's a, a raccoon murderer. <laughs> I care less about the raccoon than the, the insurance that I have to now, I got to pay to fix the car. And then on top of that, some of you will not get past the raccoon. And then on top of that, uh, it, I, I found out this week that my remote control to my TV, how many of you men in this room love your TV? 
How many of you love you? I, I gotta be honest, I do. And, they, and my remote control somehow found its way into the washing machine. Full cycle, full cycle. And then into the dryer, you know, we gotta complete the thing. And, uh, and, and I have a cold sore, you know? I'm like, things are not going well, you know? It's one thing after another, after another. And sometimes it's the little things in life piling on top that make you sit back and say, I'm not sure that this is okay. I mean, I kind of wonder, like, is there, a, is there a problem with me or is there a problem as a whole? And sometimes it's just a thousand little things that put the pressure on you and you're not sure uh, what you're going to do next. Sometimes it's one big thing. Sometimes life is going fine and then all of a sudden you're called in and you're let go. Or, or maybe you're called in and you're sat down and the doctor tells you news you were not expecting. And it's the big things, like when your child sits you down and tells you something that you did not want to hear. Or maybe your parents are telling you it's time to move and now my entire life is flipped upside down. It's the big things. Or it's a thousand little things, but all of these things can lead us as humans into a place of doubt. And doubting is normal. It's part of life. Doubting the goodness of your friends. Doubting the loyalty of your friends. Doubting the goodness of your parents. Doubting even sometimes the goodness of God. And if we're not careful, those moments of doubt can become a lifestyle of doubt and a perpetual cycle of doubt to where we become cynical, skeptical, and really imprison ourselves in, well as an untrusting, doubtful person. Today, we're gonna to talk about that kind of doubt, how to avoid a prison of doubt, how to be free. And I believe, and that's the proposition for today's sermon, is that freedom is found in faith. Can you say it with me? Freedom is found in faith. Say it again, say it again. Freedom is found in faith. Last week, we gave you one thought that really was the entire sermon. Does anybody remember the one big thought that I gave you last week? Shout it out if you do. Anybody remember what it was? We said it over and over. Anybody remember? Wow, yes, good students. Very good. Everybody graduates. We said, in crisis, Christ is in control. In crisis, Christ is in control. And last week, we met two individuals who were experiencing an external crisis. There was a crisis from the outside. The first person, one of their best friends was dying. The second person, their son actually died. And we learned that in each of those crises, in the external crisis, Christ was in control. Today, we learned that freedom is found in faith. We meet another individual in the midst of crisis, this time John the Baptist, and he's not with an external crisis. He has an existential crisis. He's wondering who he is, who Jesus is, and if he's made the right decision. And I'm going to see, I'm going to, we're going to see from this passage that freedom is found in faith. The big question is, do you trust God that he knows what he's doing? Do we trust him in the darkness? When there's a thousand little problems or one big problem, the question is, can we trust him? Is he trustworthy? Okay, that's what the message is about today. So let's jump into it. Because we tend to doubt, because we as humans tend to distrust the God who made us, you may be wondering if it's okay in three different areas, three things that are okay that you may not know that it's okay as a Christian. Number one, as a Christian, it's okay to ask questions. I want you to say that with me. 
it's okay to ask questions. You're not a bad Christian if you have questions that need to be answered. Some of you, by the way, come from a background where maybe in your home, um, mom or dad were such an authoritarian type of a figure. Don't ask any questions in my home. And they came across as authoritative, but you really found out that they just are insecure. Insecure people don't like questions. Have you ever worked with somebody like this, right? They're so insecure that anytime they have anybody question anything they do, they've got to drop the hammer. And that has less to do with their authoritative stance as much as their insecurity. And with God, God is not this way. With God, it's okay to ask questions. Some people are maybe new to church. Maybe right now you're new. And you're wondering, boy, I've come into this place with a bunch of you know, Christian freaks and believers, and, and I got some serious questions here. Can I tell you? It's okay to have questions. We're glad to answer those questions. And we see here, according to this passage, one of the great heroes of the Bible has questions. And he asks them. Number one, let's go ahead and see it in verse 17. This report about Jesus went throughout all of Judea and all the surrounding region. What report? Well, from the previous story. Remember, Jesus walked into that town called Nain, and he saw a funeral, and he walked up to the funeral, and he said to the dead guy, get up, and the dead guy got up. He raised somebody from the dead. How many of you know that's going to spread like wildfire? People are going to hear about this. And so it was. And the Bible tells us everybody in the surrounding region heard that Jesus had raised this kid from the dead, verse 18. Then the disciples of John reported to John concerning all these things. So the gospel of Matthew, which is another account of the same story, the gospel of Matthew tells us that John at this point had been thrown into prison. He was behind bars. I'm going to tell you later in the sermon how he got into prison, what he did but he was in prison. And John the Baptist at this point, he was one of the most famous men in all of Israel and one of the most important followers of Jesus Christ. And in prison, he hears that Jesus' ministry is continuing to explode. People are not only getting saved and baptized and growing and the faith is just expanding like crazy. John the Baptist is in prison this entire time watching it from, from inside a prison cell. Now, he still has some disciples that are faithful to him. And so a few of his disciples who are watching all this, they're like, let's go tell John what's going on. So they travel up to the prison. They wait in line. They finally get in to see John. And they tell John what's going on. Matthew tells us he's in prison, verse 19. And John, calling the two disciples to himself, sent them once again to Jesus asking a question. Hey, guys, when you go back to Jesus, I have a question. Just ask him this. Private message. Ask Jesus. Here it is. Are you, are, you, are you the guy? Are you the guy or, or are we waiting for somebody else? Because I've, I've been telling a lot of people you're the guy. And if you're not the guy, I'd like to know before, you know, they separate my head from my shoulders. I'm interested. I'd really like to know, are you really the Messiah? If you're not the Messiah, tell me. If you're not the Messiah, tell me. Stop. Here's the fact. John the Baptist questioned whether or not Jesus was actually the Messiah. Let me say it again. John the Baptist, who later on Jesus would call the greatest man who ever lived, actually had questions about whether or not Jesus was even the Messiah. Can I just stop once again and say, it's okay to ask questions. Let's look at what Jesus says to these guys. 
You go back and tell John, you better not ask me those kind of questions. Is that what it says? Is that what Jesus says? The answer is no. I'm going to ask it again. Does Jesus yell at John for asking the question, yes or no? No. Instead, look at what happens. I love this. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? And when the men had come to Jesus or come back to John, they said, John the Baptist, uh, to Jesus, John the Baptist sent us unto you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And that very hour, Jesus had cured many of their infirmities and their afflictions and evil spirits. And to many, he gave, bl- gave blind their sight. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind, they can see, the lame, they can walk, the lepers, they are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus sends him back and says, you go tell John what's going on. That blind people can see and deaf people can hear and lame people can walk and poor people are having the gospel preached to them. You go tell them these things. Now, why does Jesus say this? Here's why. Because Jesus knows John the Baptist was a student of the Bible, specifically the Old Testament. And Jesus quotes the, the, the book of Isaiah five times in that brief passage. He says, you go tell him, and he quotes Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse, and you tell him, you're seeing these things as I, Jesus, am the fulfillment of these prophecies. Now, let me ask you a question, and I want you to respond out loud. Is it okay to ask questions, yes or no? Yes. Do you know what Jesus does when that question is asked? He answers the question with the Bible verse. He answers a question by giving a Bible verse. Hey, parents, you know what you should do when your kids ask the good questions? You know what you should do? See if the Bible has an answer for that. Can I get an amen? You know what you should do whenever your friends at work come to you with a big question like, I don't know what to do with this question. See if the Bible has an answer for that. Say, well, how do I know what the Bible says about something? Great question. For thousands of years, God has given the church pastors and deacons that you can say, what does the Bible say on this? And they can tell you. Now, God in our modern era has given you something even better. It's called Google. (laughs) What does the Bible say about? And it's amazing, it could just take you right there. You can even go ask a pastor, pastor, what does the Bible say about? And they'll be like, oh, let me pray about it. And they're gonna go Google. (laughs) Skip the middleman, go right to the Google, you see? But in reality, And I joke a little, but in reality, you can answer questions based upon what does the Bible say. So here John is, he's literally in prison. And in prison, he's like, okay, I just want to know, are you really the guy? Because if not, if you're not the guy, you better tell me. And Jesus is like, look, he quotes Isaiah five times. Look, the Bible says I'm the guy. I'm clearly the guy. I'm the guy. Now listen to me, listen. It's okay to ask questions, but at some point, you got to accept the answer. What I I mean by that, it's okay to doubt some things sometimes, but when you get the answer from the Bible, how about you just believe what the Bible says? Some of you, like I said, are new to church. We're glad you're here. Praise God. Thank you for being here. Um, That's awesome. You're a seeker, right? That means you're not a believer. You're kind of wondering what truth is, and so you're seeking different forms of truth, and we're going to point you and say Jesus is truth. He's the way. He's the life. No man goes to God but through him. That's what we're going to share with you, 
And we're going to give you good Bible reasons for it, not just in this sermon, but in all the sermons you're going to hear. The danger is not in asking questions. The danger is in never accepting any answers. Just purposefully saying, oh, I don't know, oh, I don't know, I'm going to the moment. Just keep going. Perpetual doubt. Perpetual doubt. Jesus, at the end of the sermon, deals with perpetual doubt, and it's very dangerous. Asking questions, good. Perpetual doubt only leads to your own imprisonment. It's not only true for unbelievers, it's true for believers. Sometimes unbelievers have questions about faith and the veracity of the Bible and where's the history of the scripture. All of those questions can be answered. But for some, you're Christians. You're already believers in Jesus Christ. Your questions have more to do with, why do bad things keep happening to me? Why do bad things keep happening to others? And you're given answers. You're given answers like, well, original sin, and the Bible, the Bible says God allows bad things to happen, and it builds character in our lives like we talked about last week. But then a bad thing happens to you another next month, and you're like, why do bad things happen? Or like, same question, same answer. Three months later, something bad happens. You're like, why do bad things? I don't know. I can trust God. And the answer remains the same. The problem is not in asking a question. The problem is in a perpetual state of doubt that you can never trust the one who gives you the answer in the first place. Asking questions is great, but at some point you have to accept the answer if the answer comes from the Bible. Amen? Number one. When it comes to doubt, it's okay to ask questions. Number two, this is going to surprise some of you. Number two, it's okay to desire greatness. Say, so what does greatness have to do with this passage? Well, because Jesus at this point is about to talk about John the Baptist. Did you picture it? I've got to paint the scenario in front of you. See, what happened was Jesus was there teaching and healing and helping people. And all of a sudden, two messengers from John the Baptist come. They're like, Jesus, we have to ask you a question. Jesus stops the sermon. Yes, fellas, what do you want? John wants to know if you're really the guy. Tell him. I'm the guy. They go back and tell John Jesus is the guy. Jesus then goes back to his sermon. Now, can you picture it? Maybe there are dozens, maybe there are hundreds like there is in this room. And there's a specific group of people that are there. We're going to see them referenced in a moment. They're called the Pharisees. When I say Pharisees, you say boo. They're called the Pharisees. They're called the religious leaders. Boo. Okay, that's who they are. And they're part of the congregation. And they're always fighting Jesus. Now, what's awesome is some of them eventually become believers in Jesus. Some of them, most of them, end up being the people that try to put Jesus to death. And so here he is. He's talking to the big crowd. But there's a segment back there that are just not having any of it. They're upset with Jesus. Now he's going to talk about John the Baptist. And he's going to tell them that it's okay to be great and to desire greatness. Look at verse 24. Now, when the messengers of John had departed, Jesus began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who are gorgeously appeared, appealed uh, live in luxury and are in king's courts. You see it playing out? Jesus is there and he's teaching. He said, most of you, you followed John for many years. Why did you go out into the wilderness to listen to John the Baptist? Did you go out to listen to a reed shaken in the wind? Was he a pushover? Like a big piece of grass that just falls when the wind comes? Was John a pushover, yes or no? And they would say, no. What did you go out to see? Some kind of a religious leader in soft garments, somebody who hangs out with the kings and the politicians. Jesus in this moment is talking about John the Baptist, but he's referencing those religious leaders in the crowd. 
Did you go out to follow him because he dressed like those guys? He's literally calling out a subgroup in his group. That's amazing. Talk about boldness. Is that what you went out to see? And then they're like, no, that's not what we went out to see. Then Jesus goes on. What did you go out to see? You went out to see a prophet. Yes, more than a prophet. You went out to see, and he goes on to explain, the greatest man who ever lived. Look at the next passage as it goes on on the screen. This is he, he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. He will prepare your way before you. Again, Jesus quotes the Old Testament in the book of Malachi and says, he's the one that was promised would go before me. For I say among you that among those who are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Now Jesus says, there's never been a better prophet, never been a person born that is better than greater than John the Baptist. This is an amazing, mind-blowing thing. The dude's in prison. He's comparing the guy in prison to the religious leadership up on the hillside. But he, then he goes on and says something that is truly mind-blowing. Not only is John the Baptist the greatest, he that is the least of Jesus' kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. He not only says John the Baptist is the greatest, he then says, you can be greater than John the Baptist. Now that's where some of you might be thinking to yourself, Pastor Josh, I'm not, I didn't know it was okay to be great. I thought if I was gonna be a follower of Jesus, I had to put my shoulders down and my head down and not look people in the eye and people say, what do you believe? You say, I believe in Jesus. To desire greatness, isn't that prideful? No, as long as you understand what greatness actually is. I do a lot of mentoring of young men between the ages of 18 and 30 years old. I've done it for years and I love doing it. And one of the things that I constantly tell young men, especially that are followers of Jesus Christ, is that you can and should desire greatness in your life. And we see it demonstrated in the life of John the Baptist. There are three steps to true biblical greatness. Do you wanna know what they are? If you do, say amen. Here they are. Number one, humility. Greatness starts with humility. Do you know what made John the Baptist great? He was a humble man, like genuinely humble. Not sad, sometimes we think sad means humble and humble means sad. No, he was a happy man, he just, he did not think of himself more than he should think of himself. He was just humble. He knew who he was and he lived his part. For example, okay, like one time, um, remember John the Baptist is like a superstar, right? Like he would have been more famous than most people in his entire country. And at one point he had thousands and thousands of people who would physically show up and walk with him in the middle of the wilderness. Like he was, he was massively well-known and famous. But then the Bible says a new prophet started rising up in Israel. It happened to be Jesus. And Jesus began to take a lot of his crowd away from John the Baptist. So John used to preach to thousands, now he's preaching to hundreds. Then he preached to hundreds, now he's preaching to a few. And some of his disciples start getting really angry about this. And so they came to John the Baptist one day and they're like, hey man, all of the followers, they're following Jesus now. What do you think? And John said this, John, I love John. John said, he's the Messiah. He must increase. I must decrease. Do you know what greatness is? Greatness begins with humility saying, you know what? If God is praised, 
then it doesn't matter what happens to me. Humility. Humility. That's the opposite of what the world calls greatness. The world has some sort of an idea of greatness where you have to constantly draw attention to yourself. And in fact, we see greatness is putting attention back on Jesus Christ. So true greatness, number one, is humility. It starts with humility. But number two, true greatness is following your destiny, your design. Greatness is found in design. You say, what do you mean, design? The reason John the Baptist was great is because he was designed to be the prophet that came before Jesus. He was created for that purpose. The reason that he was great is because he fulfilled his destiny. Don't you understand? John the Baptist, according to Jesus' words, was supposed to be, by prophecy, the one who came before Jesus. Which means if John the Baptist did anything other than what he was designed to do, he would not have been great. What does that mean for you? Well, let me, let me illustrate it with this watch. This is my, uh, one, of my, one of my beautiful watches. This is, this is a nice watch. I'm going to hold it up. I want you to make me feel good. Say, ooh. This is my watch. Yeah, I know, right? It's, I got it at Ross, dress for less. I, you know, under the glass where they're on clearance, you know what I mean? It's a cheap watch, um, but it, it works, you know what I mean? Like, it, it works really well. It doesn't, I've had more expensive watches. I've had more expensive. Have, how many of you ever had more expensive things and then they don't last as well as the, like, the cheap one that you got? You know what I'm talking about? I, I just like it. I like it a lot. It works really well, so I really like it. Um, and that's what makes it great. Now, what if I were to take this watch home with me and I noticed that one of the nails in my wall had fallen out and the picture was on the ground? And I said, no problem. And, and I grabbed the nail and I took my watch and I, I tried to nail the nail in with my watch. Well, then suddenly my opinion of the watch would suddenly begin to decrease. I'd be thinking to myself, that, that watch is a piece of junk. Well, it's really not a piece of junk. I'm just using it for something it was not designed to be used for. See, the hammer is great when you use the hammer to drive nails. The hammer does not work when you wrap it around your arm and try to tell time. Do you know what makes something or someone great? When they figure out why they were designed and then they live into that destiny. Why were you created? Do you believe you were created by God? If you do, say yes. Design implies destiny. You were not only uniquely created, you were uniquely called to be and do something that only you can be and do. Your daddy can't do it, your mommy couldn't do it, or God would have had them do it. Your kids won't do it, your nephews and nieces won't do it, your friends won't do it, only you're supposed to do it. Only you can be the person God created you to be. And greatness is not trying to live somebody else's life. Greatness is living the life that God gave you to the full extent God has called you to do it. So why has God created you? Are you designed and are you living into your Destiny, that's the big question. Now, some of you are thinking of your career, which is really good. You should be thinking of your career. But it's more than just your career. 
I'm talking about the fact that you were designed to be a great dad. You were designed to be a great mom. You were designed to be a great spouse, a husband, a wife. You were designed to be great in this area. And the question is, are you living up to your greatness? Do you see the design God has created you to be? You say, I try to be a great mom, but I'm a terrible mom. Well, it might be you're thinking that because you're trying to live out somebody else's destiny as a mom. Uh, let me explain. Um, as a preacher, early on, I mean, I, I'm at the point, I've been doing this for 20 years almost, and I, I love doing it, and I'm fantastic at my job. Okay, try that again, you say amen, okay? Some of you are new to church, you don't realize where the amen goes. I'm gonna like cheat sheet for you, here it is, all right? I'm a preacher, and I'm pretty good at my job. Amen. See, I know. See all the people that agree? Okay, all right. Early on in our church's history, there was a preacher on television named James Kennedy. Dr. G. James Kennedy from Coral Ridge, Florida. Anybody ever heard of this guy before? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, some of you older Christians. More mature Christians. Mature, right? Like I am. You're like, all right. I used to watch him a lot. A lot back in the, even when growing up in the 90s and then in my early pastor, I'd love watching him. And then I'd watch his old sermons. And as I'd watch his old sermons, I would almost get to the point where I would try to be him in the pulpit. And he was a very different preacher than I am. First of all, he was Presbyterian. Secondly, he would wear a robe, like a, like a big robe, you know. And he would walk to the podium. And he had a voice like this. And I would watch the sermons and I'm like, that guy's awesome. And I'd watch him like all week long and then I'd get up to preach my sermons. And I'd be like, hello, welcome. God has brought you here today. Man, it didn't work. Do you know why it didn't work? Because it wasn't me. He's supposed to be a preacher. I'm supposed to be a preacher, but my path is a little different than his path. Look, look, greatness is not trying to be somebody else who is great. Greatness is humility and then living out the design God created you to live out. You know, mom guilt is a real thing. Right? I mean, you're going through Instagram and uh, it's just August, September, and you're going through and you see some mom. You ever see the moms and they pack lunches different than all the other moms? Like their lunches, is like, it's like artwork, you know what I mean? Like they're carving the carrot to look like Picasso, and then they, then they put it on Instagram and you're like, whoa! And then a lot of you moms are like, that's awesome, and you try it, and it does not look like that, you know? It's It's ugly. And then you've got this guilt inside of you because you're not doing, well, it could be, it could be that maybe that's not you, but it doesn't mean that you can't be the type of mom who's able to sit down every single time after school and talk through their homework in a way that other mothers don't. Greatness is number one, humility, and then number two, it's destiny, it's design. It's finding out from your creator, how did you create me and how can I follow you into my destiny? Number three, the third step to truly understand John's greatness is the word boldness. 
once you have a hum humble perspective of yourself and you're following your design, then you have to pursue your design with boldness. You have to get it. You have to go after it. Some of us allow our procrastination or our desire for fun or just our old-fashioned laziness to keep us from the destiny and the direction and the design and the excitement of fulfilling what God has for your life, the greatness that God has. Here's what I love about John the Baptist. He was bold. When, when he finally understood that he was a prophet, man, did he take that seriously. Do you know why he was in prison? The reason he was in prison is because he found out the king was sleeping with his uh, sister-in-law and he was supposed to be a religious king, so he was gonna address the issue. So John the Baptist walks into Herod Antipas's, um, Herod Antipas, his, uh, his um, uh, court, and he looks him bold in the eye and says, you should not be sleeping with your sister-in-law. Well, guess what happens when you say that to a king? You go to jail. Now he's in jail. He's in jail, why? Because he's, he's bold. You say, was that his destiny? Friend, what I love about the design of John the Baptist and the destiny of John the Baptist is that he was designed to be a prophet and his destiny ends with his head cutting off. You say, that doesn't sound like greatness to me. That's because we don't understand biblical greatness. Greatness is in humility, finding out what you were made to do and boldly going for exactly why God created you. That's why, that's why, that's why Jesus says, he's the greatest man who ever lived and you can be greater than him. It's okay to desire greatness. Number one, it's okay to ask questions. Number two, it's okay to desire greatness. And then number three, it's okay to believe. So Jesus is giving all of this sermon, right? He's talking about John the Baptist. He's talking about greatness. He's talking about the greatest man who ever lived. And then Jesus does something really interesting. It tells us in verse 29 and 30 that half the crowd loved what Jesus said and half the crowd hated it. How, how, many, how many of you can guess who it was that hated the story, right? Yeah, it was these religious leaders up here. Verse 29 says, they were angry about what Jesus said because they did not like John the Baptist. But the rest of the crowd, the simple sinners like us, they loved what Jesus said because they had been followers of John the Baptist. And then Jesus does something in verse 31 and 32 that is mind-blowing. He publicly insults half of his crowd. In verses 31 and 32, he says, you see these people? Let me tell you what this generation is like. This generation is like a bunch of spoiled children playing games, demanding that you do everything they want you to do. Wow. Some of you got this image of Jesus as only the kind shepherd that carries around a little lamb. That is part of who Jesus is. The other part is Jesus calling people out saying, you bunch of hypocrites, that's what he does. And he points at him and says, that's who they're like, a bunch of children who demand their way no matter what. The reason Jesus is so angry in a good way, he's angry with these people is because they refuse to believe. Their doubts had not just been a moment of question, it was a perpetual cycle in their life. Now listen, my friend, be careful that your doubts don't become a perpetual cycle of unbelief and mistrust. You, you alone are hurting yourself. He says, you know what this generation is like? A bunch of children who demand things th their way. And then he says in verse 33 and 34, look what it says. It says in the passage, for John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine. And they said, he has a demon. 
the Son of Man comes, eating food and drinking wine, and you call me a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus' point is, don't you understand these people? When John the Baptist came, because he always fasted and he never drank anything, they hated him. I come and I drink and I eat, and they hate me. The problem is not with John the Baptist. The problem is not with me. The problem is with your unbelief. And that's why he says in verse 35, wisdom will be justified of her children. The offspring of your thought process produces the unbelief that you live in. It's okay to doubt, but it is not okay to live in a perpetual state of unbelief. It will damn you. I'm going to shoot straight with some of you here today that are not yet Christians. Listen to me. Hear this. Your doubting is not sophisticated. I just, I just, somebody that just needs more proof than most of you simpletons. Your doubting is not sophisticated. Your criticisms are neither valid nor true. John was... Jesus was neither a drunk and John was not filled with a demon. You create ideas in your mind to make you feel better about your overly sensitive, skeptical, cynical mindset about life. And you think you're the good one, the great one, and you're actually just a fool. You see, your skepticism, it's trapped you. Your cynicism, it's, it's surrounding you. Your doubt has imprisoned you. And what's amazing about this story is it opens up with a guy named John the Baptist in prison. It ends by showing that these men on the hillside who think themselves so great and skeptical and doubtful are the ones who are actually in prison. Your doubt has caught you. And you won't even know that you're in a trap until you die and wake up in hell. <laughs> the whole time knowing you're so much better than the rest of us. Bro, Jesus Christ came to save you from that prison. Some of you are unbelievers who need to be freed from the prison of doubt by choosing to believe. Some of you are Christians and you believe that Jesus Christ died upon the cross, buried, rose from the grave, you really do. You put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation and you trust him with eternity. You just have a hard time trusting him with tomorrow. And your soul is safe. Like you know you'll go to heaven one day because he can handle the big stuff. What you're worried about is whether or not he can handle the hornet's nest. You're worried about the economy. You're worried about your job. You're worried about what your kids said. You're worried about what's going on next week, next month, next year. And you have placed yourself, though saved, in a perpetual prison of doubt. You're a person of faith, but in reality, you live the life of a doubtful prisoner. And the only person you're hurting is you. To which is the point of the sermon. Freedom is found in faith. Like if I could give you a key to unlock the prison and to step out of it, that key would be just faith. Just trust God. Just believe. That sounds pretty simple to me. Uh, it may be simple, 
but it's not always easy to just decide, no, I'm going to trust God. You're going through an existential crisis. What is true? What is not true? Does God love me? Is everything going to be okay? Can you just stop and take the answers that the Bible gives? Yeah. He is who he said he is. And what you're experiencing might be the gracious destruction of your perfectly organized mentality to say you can trust God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the beautiful truths that are found in it. Lord, it touches our hearts so deeply because we are people of faith, but also we doubt. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your plan. We doubt that you know what you're doing. Even though we said over and over last week in crisis, Christ is in control. Throughout the week, we hit crisis after crisis and we wonder if you're in control. So God, I pray that you would help us to see that freedom truly is found in faith and that we can unlock the prison of our own doubt, our own disbelief, our own lack of faith just by simply putting our trust back in you every day, every moment of every day. These things we ask today was a reminder of something we must practice. Help us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.